Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about soybean inoculants. But even if you don't raise soybeans, there are many other crops that need inoculants. What we mean by that exactly is when we talk soybean inoculants, we're talking about rhizobia bacteria that are beneficial to the plant. They can take nitrogen out of the air and turn it into a form the plant can use. So it's live bacteria, not something dead, not a chemical, not some, you know, some foreign substance. This is naturally occurring in the soil anyway. With soybean inoculants, though, what the scientists have now done is they found certain strains that are better for producing nitrogen. They found certain strains that can survive better in the soil, which is a real key because a lot of the old inoculants didn't survive very well in the soil. And then the other thing is they found certain foods, I'll call it, to put with the bacteria to keep them alive a little bit longer, either on the seed or even just in the jug before you put them on the seed. One of the biggest keys, though, I will tell you with inoculants is to never forget these are living, breathing organisms. You can't store inoculant on the dash of your pickup when, like on a day like today, it's 80 degrees outside and sunny. So that means in your pickup, it's 100 degrees. You do that for three hours, those bacteria are all dead. So you, you got to treat the inoculant and you're not, being, you're not being dramatic here, Brian. They are literally dead. Right. So, you, yes, that's the key point here is you treat them as living. Now, does that mean it's a pain in the butt to get the most out of these inoculants? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Because here's what it gets me, Brian. When you look at the labels of most of these inoculants out there, well, it's you can treat them 30 days ahead, even 45 days ahead. You know, these extenders are, are really something, and they do keep some of the bacteria alive. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to create a stir here. That, oh, all my rhizobia bacteria are dead. But you think about that. If you put a living thing out there, they've got just a little bit of food source in that extender. They don't have a food source forever. So we know at some point it's going to run out. So the sooner we can get them in the ground, the more of those bacteria are alive, the more it can help our plant. And if some are good and more are better, why would you not want to have as many of those survive that you, that you already paid for as possible? So, yes, we treat up right before we plant. That is the ideal way to use rhizobia inoculant. Yeah, and here's the big thing. It's very inexpensive. Most inoculants are going to cost $1 to $3 an acre, so very little money. And if you're using them correctly, in other words, they actually get in the ground soon and they are still alive – you should get a fairly decent return on investment, even if you're raising soybeans on soybeans. So when Darren and I were down in Brazil in 2007, it was interesting because guys down there were talking about, oh, yeah, we use inoculant every single time. And I'm like, well, wait a second, you're growing beans on beans in some cases. They said, yeah, it still works, still pays. What we're finding is there's more nitrogen left in the soil after we have inoculated. In other words, so after that crop, so let's just say we got a soybean crop, you inoculate in the spring, but what they're finding is in the fall then, and so going into the next season, in the fall and going into the next season, they've got a few extra pounds of nitrogen as opposed to if they didn't inoculate. And I thought, well, you know, I'd never heard that before. I'd never seen that research before. So I thought that was pretty interesting. So yeah, we're huge believers in, especially now with the new science, with the newer inoculants, 
Use them every time. They're so inexpensive. And do your own studies. That's what we've done on our farm to find out, even in a bean-on-bean situation, it pays. All right, so we'll talk about soybean inoculants throughout the day. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's the Mailbag! All right, Brian, I'm, I'm handing Brian uh, some information on grain sorghum for this question that's coming up. This is from Don, and he said, on, on in the past, you've mentioned high management grain sorghum plots that you did that yielded around 170 bushels per acre. Well, that sounds like a great yield to me. Can you share some advanced items to consider to try to reach those yields? We're growing milo every few years and our top yields have been around 140. And then you've got another soils-related question. All right. Well, since you mentioned soils, Darren, that's the number one thing. I don't care what crop you're raising. If you want maximum yield, you want to make sure you have good drainage, number one. And number two, you've got to have ample and balanced fertility. So I was just talking to some agronomists this morning, and I was saying, you know, as cheap as fertilizer was last fall, we got our base saturation K levels finally on every field built up into that 6 to 7% range, which is where we want it for corn, for soybeans, for grain, sorghum, for wheat. Uh, so not at the low end of our 4 to 8% range, but getting toward the top end. So that's just one of the things. But just for example, when we fertilized, and when I fertilized specifically, for this 100 and let's see, I had 173 bushel grain sorghum. Um, I used some sulfur, some manganese, some copper, some boron, some uh, potash, and MAP. So I used all those things. Plus, there's a little bit of foliar fertilizer, a little bit of manganese in furrow. Now, I'm not saying you have to do all that stuff, but I am saying you should test your soil, see what you need. In our case, we needed all those things, so I needed to put them all on. Beyond that, it's really just making sure you do a good job controlling the weeds, the insects, and the diseases that are going to come later on in the season. So we used pre-emerge and post-emerge herbicides. We used fungicide at Flagleaf, and we used insecticide foliar uh, let's see, I don't remember if it was one or two times. Looks like I'm just looking to see if I had to. Twice. Yep, we used it twice. Once early and once at 50% bloom. So anyway, lots of things that can be done. Just depends on your situation because you got to make sure that uh, you, you've got the bugs before you spray and so on and so forth. Okay, anyway, go here's ahead. this other question. This is from Don again in uh, Indiana. He said, we've got naturally high phosphorus sands in corn. We're adding zinc in furrow knowing that the high phosphorus could potentially tie up some of the zinc. Should we be adding anything in furrow on our soybeans to help offset high phosphorus levels and any potential tie up? It's the exact same thing. We got to look at zinc, or I should say phosphorus to zinc ratio. There's also a phosphorus to copper ratio. Those things are pretty important. Phosphorus to zinc is usually around 10 to 1. Phosphorus to copper, somewhere around probably 30 to 1 or so. But anyway, yes, you need to look at more than just zinc. We're going to be talking about soybean inoculants on our show today. Also taking your calls and agronomic questions too. Stay tuned. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. 
As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio and we're talking about soybean inoculants, but our phone lines will be open throughout the show to take your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Steve with us right now out in Idaho. Steve, did you hear us talking about soil tests a little bit and thought, hey, I got some soil tests I could talk about? Actually, I missed your... Uh special on alfalfa last week and i met with ah. the agronomist friday night and so i had a few questions for you perfect perfect okay so we're talking about alfalfa is this new seeding or existing crop last year it was its first seeding and it wasn't on a third of it's not very good so i don't have the soldiers to probably get my six ton that i'm looking for okay but with my soil sample uh i um, what it recommends is, you know, probably a hundred bucks an acre, which is not within budget. So I told him 40 and he's got these two different scenarios for me. And I was thinking to go more with sulfur where I was okay with P was wondering your thoughts. Okay. Hey, let me first ask you the hundred dollars. Is that within your budget <laughs> over? Well, how long will, will your stand last four years? Well, the st- on a third of it, the stand isn't very good, so I might have to tear it out and redo it again. Well, that's kind of what I was so, wondering. Are we talking fertilizer yeah. for a new stand or fertilizer for an existing stand? So he- here's where I was going with the whole thing, too. Uh, it is $100 for one year? Yeah, that's a lot. But if it was $100 spread over ooh, four ooh, years. I'm, I'm going to hold on to that. I'm, I'm excited to hear Brian say it. that was a lot for fertilizer. because For budget. I, I pay budget. half the budget here, Steve. And so to me, I wonder if Brian's thinking that's just his share of the bill or if that's the total bill. So I'm just teasing him a little bit. We spent $300 an acre last year on every single acre we had for corn and soybeans, but that was a massive build program because fertilizer was as cheap as it has been in like 15 years. So anyway, a little bit different deal. All I was after is a lot of times we will talk with alfalfa, hey, put out your four years worth of fertilizer for the non-mobile nutrients like phosphorus and potassium 
potassium and zinc and copper and that kind of stuff. Put that all out up front and then don't spend all the money, you know, on the yearly basis after that. So anyway, go ahead. No, that, that's, that's perfect. That might be working too. But I, when I was farming with my dad, when we did alfalfa, we got such a kick out of the sulfur that well, I was wondering, yes. put my money towards the sulfur instead of be where my piece up um, in sufficient level. Yeah. So, so here's the thing. And I'll just, if you don't mind, I'll just read your numbers that you sent us. Uh, it's 32 parts per million on phosphorus and 170 parts per million on potassium. So, that's not bad if we were to just look at one year removal of alfalfa off that field. But our concern gets to be with phosphorus, especially, it doesn't move in soil. So if you say, well, I'll throw a little bit on every year, that's going to stay in that top quarter inch or something like that. Go ahead, Darren. What were you going to say? I was just looking at what six ton removal is 306 pounds of nitrogen, 72 pounds of phosphate. 294 pounds of K2O potassium and 32 pounds of sulfur. That's what six tons removes. How many on phosphorus? 72 pounds of phosphate, 294 pounds of K2O potassium. Right. So see, there there goes a lot of your phosphorus in one year. So yeah, I, I, we're totally with you on the sulfur. It makes a lot of sense because you're only at eight parts per million on sulfur. And that's why the sulfur is paying so well, plus the fact that your pH is high. So whenever pH is high, then it gives you a lot better chance for sulfur to pay. So I, I we totally understand on that. But we also look at Okay, boron is low, copper is low. Those are a couple of really important micronutrients for alfalfa. I'm not saying you have to put a lot on, but I'd, I'd be putting at least a little bit on. So I, I get it. I know, and it's hard when you say, okay, I only want to spend $40. Where are you going to go with that? Rather than doing all one thing or all two things, I'd probably go with real low rates of a bunch of stuff. Or I would just say, you know what, I want to at least get out my non-leachables, my zinc, my copper, my uh, phosphorus, my potassium. I want to at least get those out, spend a little more in year one, and then I'll spend a lot less in the subsequent years. And I'll only put on the leachable stuff like boron and sulfur moving forward. But yeah, sulfur every year for that alfalfa is absolutely going to help you. And I can certainly see why it has helped you in the past. All righty. Okay. Well, that works. I appreciate it. You bet. Yeah, thanks a lot. Anytime. And I, I, again, I just I can't stress this enough for all of our listeners. When we start talking perennial crops, I, I just want you to think a little bit differently than maybe you have in the past because of what we do know about fertilizer and just certain nutrients don't move well in the soil. Even in lighter ground, I mean, that phosphorus, seriously, in four-year time span, it's going to get down a quarter inch, maybe a half inch at the most. Well, where are your roots? They're a lot deeper than that, number one. And number two, what dries out first? I mean, it's that top inch that dries out. Well, if it's dry and it's dried out, if you have even a week stretch with no rain, you're not getting nutrients into the plant. So in order to feed it better, in order to get the best bang for your buck that you're going to invest over the life of any perennial crop, I just encourage you really look hard at the non-mobile nutrients. All right. Uh, thanks for the call, Steve. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Let's jump into the soybean inoculant discussion. Real happy to have Rahia Deardall Young with us right now with BASF. Thanks for joining us, Rahia. So nice to talk to you boys again. Thank yes. you for having me. All right. Well, this is going to be interesting, too, because 
talking to farmers in North Dakota, they can't believe how early they're going to be able to get in fields. And it is almost a little unusual as you go north this year. Oh, absolutely. The soil temps are coming up. We got a, a pretty pretty nice wind um, going, and uh, those soils are going to be dried out. It's going to be time to plant before we know it, huh? Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. Okay, so let's talk about being successful then with soybeans. We're probably a month out here before a lot of growers will think about putting soybeans in the ground, but one of the discussions that we get into is soybean inoculant. What are some of the considerations that growers should have going into the spring with inoculant? So we need to keep in mind always in the back of our head that 60% of the yield making nitrogen is going to be coming from those nodules. So it's absolutely essential that we get a good rhizobia there in the field. One of the things I hear a lot when I talk to growers about um, rhizobia um, is, you know, I I had beans on there. Um, I think I've got, you know, I've got a good native population there. And what we have to remember is that those native rhizobium, they're there because they survived. They're not necessarily there because they're good at fixing nitrogen. So we released a, a brand new product this season, Vault IP Plus, um, that has one of those really efficient uh, nitrogen fixating uh, molecules and uh, really a nice rhizobia in there. And we paired that with two different biologicals um, that uh, have an EPA registration for suppression of fusarium and rhizoctonia, as well as helping our plants to, um, you know, mine more nutrition out of the soil and uh, get a little bit, uh, have a better uh, drought tolerance as well as we're looking at that drought across North Dakota. Well, that is that is for sure. If conditions get tough, the soybean plants have got such a huge leg up if they can produce a lot more of their own nitrogen. And, and we're not talking about 20 and 30 bushel yields anymore. You look at the state of North Dakota, and for a lot of growers in the I-states, they may be thinking, ah, oh, North Dakota, they can't raise very high yields. Yeah, they can. There's a lot of guys raising 50, 60, <laughs> even 70 bushel beans up there on a full field basis. So we, we need a lot of nitrogen for those high yields. Absolutely. And as we're looking at those, uh, those soybean prices come up and up, um, you know, that, that we get a pretty consistent two bushels per acre yield response with Vault IP Plus. So that return on investment starts to look pretty good as bean prices keep coming up. So, now, one thing absolutely. that you mentioned there on the Vault IP Plus, that you've got two different biologicals in there that are going to uh, help be uh, protectors rather than like the rhizobia bacteria are trying to uh, add something to the plant. Stopping things like fusarium and rhizoctonia is a big deal. These are these are designed to stop fungus, not bacteria. So if there's any confusion out there, uh, it is technology that can stack on top of each other, correct? Absolutely. And we do a lot of work to make sure all these organisms are compatible and that they do really well together in the rhizosphere. You're absolutely right. We have three uh, different active ingredients in one. One of these is, of course, the the Brady rhizobia that's got that really good at fixing nitrogen. Um, One of them forms a really nice biofilm in the rhizosphere um, and allows, you know, to do that that fungus. Tell you what, Ruhia, we're running up against a break here. Let's uh, finish this talk right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. You work for results. That's why the Enlist weed control system gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system 
was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. With stronger bean prices ahead, don't let white mold reduce your yield and profits again this year. Contans WG reduces sclerotia in your fields, eliminating white mold at the source. White mold was a major problem in 2019, costing soybean farmers valuable yield potential. As you rotate back into those white mold infected areas this spring, protect yourself by applying Contans. Clean your soils and return lost yield potential to every soybean you plant with Contans WG. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. When it comes to commanding herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Panther SC, an animal when it comes to speed of control and long residual on a broad spectrum of tough broadleaf weeds like mare's tail, palmer amaranth, and water hemp. And did we mention convenience? Panther SC works in pre-plant, pre-emerge, and post-harvest systems and keeps your rotation options open. New Farm and Panther SC, here to help. Always fun here on Ag PhD Radio. Just before the break, we're talking with Ruhia Deardall Young with BASF, and and uh, I I get all of a sudden music playing. I'm like, oh no, we're up against a break here, and Ruhia was right in the middle of answering a question, and we get to the break. Brand's like, what are you doing asking a question with no time left? So Ruhia, it's all on me. Sorry about that. We were talking about uh, Vault IP Plus, and just you know with. With soybean inoculants, growers are used to, all right, we've got rhizobia bacteria in there, but we've got, in this particular product, we've got a couple other uh, natural type products that are in there to help fight off disease, and you were trying to explain that, and I'm sorry we get cut off. No problem at all. No problem at all. Yeah, so we've got three different modes of action in there. One, you mentioned, of course, we've got a really high, efficient nitrogen fixer and a brighty rhizobia in there. But we also have two other biologicals. One of them forms a biofilm. So, you know, we think about a, a crowded elevator. If the elevator's crowded, nobody's getting on. 
So in the rhizosphere, if we fill it up with um, a nice biofilming bacteria, then that fusarium in rhizoctonia doesn't have the same access to those roots and forms sort of a protective shield around them. And I tell you what, I've screened biologicals um, for years before I, I came to BASF. And this is one of the very few ones that I've looked at in the field and I've said, are we sure there's not a hard chemistry there? It just really looks really good in the field. Um, and this, this final biological we have in there actually helps the roots to get more water out of the soil, get more nutrients. So I've seen fantastic performance of Vault IP Plus out in the field. Outstanding. Well, lots to think about here as you get ready to plant soybeans. We're talking a little soybean inoculant today, and and Rahia Deer Dal Young with BSF just talking about one that you may not have had a chance to try at Vault IP Plus. Rahia, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and good luck heading into the spring. Thank you. You too. I appreciate it. Let's head out to Eastern Washington. We got Sean with us right now with a question. Sean, how are you? I'm doing good. Yourself? Doing pretty well. I uh, understand you want to talk about pasture grass just a little bit? Yeah, so I've got a new piece of property uh, that I'm not able to irrigate uh, as much as I would like. I'm looking for a recommendation uh, or something I can do for maybe a drier, healthier grass in that condition, I guess. Okay, so when you say you're not able to irrigate as much as you would like, you can get some, you can get some limited water out there, just not, not a large amount? Yep. Yep, very much. So I'll be able to, uh, I'll be able to run a little bit of water, uh, you know, earlier in the season and probably later into the fall. Uh, but in the summer, I'm just limited to the groundwater um, in this groundwater pond. Uh, and so in the summer, there's obviously a lot less. Yeah, it's uh, and if you didn't catch for everybody else uh, listening here, Sean's in eastern Washington, which isn't normally blessed with a huge amount of rainfall. So it makes sense if you Not can't <laughs> if you can't do much irrigation, uh, you're going to be limited in your options. Now, I don't know exactly which species of grass is going to work the best, but what I would say, Sean, I guess where where we could potentially help out is just if you get some soil sampled out there, just to see where that nutrient balance is. If we get nutrients in balance, we can utilize uh, our water better. And one of the things I think about, Brian, when it, we look at water and how the plant uses it, I know zinc is one of those key things. And a lot of times guys will say, man, where I've got good levels of micros, I can right. get by in those tougher, dry conditions. Yeah, the ones we're typically going to talk about with grass. It's zinc, it's copper, and then potassium is obviously huge for all plants. But Darren was talking about moisture, and, and that's really the big thing. So it, spe to specifically answer your question, we can't. You just have to talk to your local extension people or, or other farmers, ranchers around there and see what they like for grass, what's worked out best for grass species. So that that we can't answer, unfortunately. But, but we can tell you, hey, you just want to make sure that and for that matter if you want to take some soil tests and send them to us we'd be more than happy to look at those but if you get the soil having yeah. ample fertility and balanced fertility and now's your chance before you seed it because like we were just talking about in our last segment for perennial crops and i'll throw grass into that you don't have a second chance you've got one chance to get the nutrients that don't move well in the soil the p the k the zinc and the copper those simply do not move in soil water very well at all so you've got this chance to get it down there and then hopefully your grass gets off to a good start once it's off to a really good start and you've got plenty of nutrients for a while now things can go pretty well but it's that first couple of 
years where you're at the most risk. So that's why okay. we'd just like to see it balanced as much as we can. Perfect. Well, I'll definitely do some sampling, and yes, you'll probably see some uh, come from me. Sounds good. Yep, look forward to it. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Sean. Sean. Yep. All right, Brian, we got talking about K there and soybeans, and Ron sent in a question. He said, good day, guys. I've heard Brian talk about soybeans having a five-day window when their potassium uptakes at its peak. Wondering when that is exactly. That's not That's not quite what we've said. What we have said is at the peak for soybean use of potassium, it's going to be much higher than it would be for corn. And it all depends in terms of how much higher on what kind of yield levels we're talking about. But the point here is simply a soybean plant needs a crazy amount of potassium. And when it needs that potassium is, we'll call it, so in the it's in the reproductive stages. I don't remember off the top of my head the exact stage, but it's somewhere around that where pods are beginning to form to when pods are filling. Okay, so right in that kind of time frame. So for us, in terms of the calendar, we're usually talking late July and early August. And that's one of the reasons why the old saying around here has always been, August rains make beans. Or I'd even throw it in there, late July rains make beans. So, And part of the reason why isn't the moisture. It's the fact that a lot of these nutrients go into the crop with moisture. So when you get a big flush of moisture, then the plant gets a big flush of potassium. So that's really what we're talking about. It's not necessarily five days. It's not necessarily, you know, a certain percentage over what corn's going to need. But it's one of these things to think about because quite often, at least around here, Okay, everybody talks about, all right, we're in a corn-soybean rotation, we'll fertilize the corn, there should be enough left over for the beans, and that's fine if we actually have enough. But then the other thing that happens here quite often is we just don't have the rainfall we would like to have. We, we had no decent rain after July 5th last year until... I think it was October or November. I mean, it was a crazy long time. We still had good yield, but we didn't have great yield because we didn't have that moisture and we're on dry land. So, and I want you to think about it this way too. I I, I will often give people the example of, okay, let's say you need to take some medicine and you've got a bottle of water today that's plumb full. And you say, all right, throw your medicine in that bottle of water, mix it around a little bit. All right, now think of the concentration of medicine to water. All right, now, tomorrow, you only have that same bottle, but it's half full of water. Now throw that same medicine in that you need to get. You know, you have to have that level of medicine every day. Now think about the concentration. It's twice as concentrated, right? This is part of the reason why we often say with potassium, in drier climates, you actually need a higher base saturation K than if, let's say, you were in Illinois, which gets twice the amount of rainfall as we do here in eastern South Dakota. Okay, When you have more rain, then it's much easier to get the nutrient in the plant. When you have less rain, we just have to have more nutrients sitting there ready to go in the soil so we can get it in because we're just not going to have as much rainfall. And so that that's one of the things that I would look at as well. 
Right. Thanks for the question. We got this one from Brian, who said, "Which specific nutrients are found in manure and compost at the time of its availability to the soil? Does it reduce your need for other fertility applications?" Yes, and it's basically going to have everything. So every nutrient you can think of, not, it's now, probably not in the got perfect that balance. Right, but it'll have a little bit of everything. So that's where we still want you to test because not only do we want to find out what the balance is so we can add commercial fertilizer to take care of it, we also need to find out how much is in there so we don't have any environmental issues with things like nit nitrogen and phosphorus. But then the last thing we got to look at too is salt. We just don't want to be throwing too much salt out there or, you know, worst case scenario, potentially heavy metals as well. So make sure you're testing anything you throw out on your ground before you put it out there. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. High yield growers know that bringing in big bushels means establishing excellent emergence. Start your crop off right with the Germinator closing wheel from Farm Shop MFG. The Germinator spike design excels in variable soils and eliminates sidewall compaction. But what makes the Germinator unique is its inner rim shoulder firmer, which encases the seed with soil, maximizing seed to soil contact. It's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential at farmshopmfg.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Step it up this season. Do more than just keep your soybean fields clean with Authority Supreme or Authority Edge herbicide from FMC. Walk those clean fields with pride and enter for your chance to win a $500 Cabela's gift card. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at stepitupwithfmc.com. Always read and follow label directions for use. Void where prohibited. Must be a legal U.S. resident and age of majority in your state to enter. See official rules for terms and conditions. 
back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we're getting close to planting season. I love it. We're hitting 80 degrees here for the first time since early November on our farm, which gets everybody fired up, but it's still a little early to be planting soybeans. we got our friend Hans Kandel on with us right now from North Dakota State University. Hans, how are you doing today? I am doing well. It is a beautiful day, isn't it? You bet. If it just stayed 80 degrees from here on out, it would be okay to plant soybeans, but we got another month or so to wait. We're talking soybean inoculants and other things soybean-related on today's program. Talk to us a little about inoculant and, and what growers in North Dakota are doing. Yeah, so, you know, uh, if we talk about uh, soybeans, and a very interesting plant that can make its own uh, nitrogen. However, I always say, yes, it can, but you need to have the right bacteria available so I've traveled uh, quite a bit uh, uh, around the globe, and there are areas where soybeans are grown for the first time. And if you don't inoculate, you know, you don't get the nodules. So it is critical that we get the right bacteria to work together with the roots. And then when we have that nodulation taking place, you know, the soybean can make a lot of nitrogen. So uh, I think uh, most of the growers in North Dakota, of course, have... Uh, at some point uh, inoculated. Uh, we s- uh, are expecting more acres this year, so I'm also expecting some new acres, and then it is really critical that you put an inoculant down because the bacteria are not really uh, available naturally because the plant comes out of uh, Manchuria, China, and so the bacteria were uh, um, together with the soybean developed there and are not available to bacteria here. So you have to bring the bacteria close to the seed in order for them to work. Now, as you head west in North Dakota, and for our listeners who may not be familiar with North Dakota geography, uh, as you go west, it gets pretty dry, and a lot of the guys would prefer to raise wheat and some other crops. Soybeans maybe aren't their their, their uh, long-time stable, so some of the guys are raising soybeans for their first time or, or the first uh, few years of soybeans ever. And, and many of those guys, Hans, will talk about double inoculating. Do you see success with that strategy? Yes, you know, especially when you do first time, what I said, there is no bacteria really in the in the soil. So you can apply something on the seed, uh, either liquid or a peat-based, but, you know, that only gives uh, bacteria right where the seed is, where if you also use another inoculant, uh, more the granule, then that granule will fall in between the seeds, and when the root starts to develop, they will hit those uh, other sources of inoculum as well. So we have found that uh, if you do a double inoculation when you have never had soybeans, that is a good strategy. Now, when you're looking in North Dakota, the soils vary so much, and you've got some lighter soils in some areas. You certainly have some heavy black soils as well. Do you see a big difference in in areas of the state in terms of response you get out of adding inoculant? Well, you see, once you have uh, a a rotation and you have soybeans in the rotation, uh, you know, the bacteria can stay in the ground for a long time. So then if you look at uh, uh, rotations with soybeans, you know, uh, we have enough uh, bacteria available. So uh, I would say the danger in the heavy ground is when we get flooding because the bacteria are alive and if you get wet conditions, uh, some of those bacteria will die off, and so the numbers will decrease. So especially under wet conditions, which we don't have this year, but some years we do, then it is important on the heavy ground also to inoculate. 
Yeah, great point there on the flooding. I know there have been a lot of prevent plant acres in the Dakotas here the last couple of years. It's certainly something for, for growers in those situations to be thinking about. And if, even last uh, year we had uh, around Grand Forks heavy rainfall with saturated conditions. So those fields uh, might have lower uh, inoculant than you would expect under in in a normal uh, condition. Talking with Hans Kendell here with North Dakota State University. Thank you so much, Hans. I really appreciate having you on today. Good luck heading into the spring. Yeah, thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Yeah, when you don't have ideal conditions out there, whether it's extreme drought or flooding, you certainly are going to lose some of that natural biology that's in the soil. And I think as cheap as inoculant is, Brian, it's something that I know on our farm we're putting on every time. Right, and that's the whole thing. All we really care about is what's the return on investment on this stuff. So if you're going to spend $10 and you get $5 back, well, that's a dumb investment. I mean, unless there's some big long-term gain. But with inoculant, you're usually spending one. Okay. Well, if you're spending $1, are you really checking the yield monitor that close? Because let's face it, uh, we got new crop beans at over 11 bucks, And so you need one eleventh of a bushel to break even. You need two elevenths of a bushel to double your money. And if there was anything you could double your money on in six months, you'd probably say, well, that's a fantastic investment. Why would I not do that? Exactly. So here's the point again, and I said this earlier, just run your own tests. But if you're going to run your own tests, you got to look really, really close. Because to find two elevenths of a bushel, it's never going to show up in your yield monitor. You have to weigh out each pass and just see, hey, am I getting a difference there? We ran an inoculant trial. This is going back over 10 years ago now. Uh, the biggest inoculant trial we ever did, it was on a quarter section, and we did literally every other pass. The average was something like five bushels. And I'm going, no way. That's, it's not. No, it can't possibly be five bushels. But I was out in the field, and it was five bushels. Now, that's not going to happen often, but literally it happens one time. One time, and now you paid for the inoculant for the entire farming career of any farmer that there is in the world. So it just doesn't take much. And Hans brought up a great point, you know, when you start talking about flooding. But let's also think about high salt, high or low pH. Uh, I mean, really, quite frankly, almost any soil condition that could cause issues with bacteria or bacteria survivability, then those are things where you go, oh, hey, I got a much better chance than normal for inoculant to pay. So, yeah, we're big believers in inoculant, in part because it's so inexpensive, in part because our results have shown, yeah, on average, we are gaining way more than what it costs to put out there. So just don't spend a lot, but use it as, as wisely as you can so you actually keep the bacteria living so they do some good for you in the soil. All right, uh, let's dive back into some more questions here. And this one comes from Bernard, who said, I just watched one of your TV episodes. You were talking about water quality and how it interacts with additives to be sprayed in the field. I think it mentioned, or I think I had mentioned to you before about reverse osmosis being an alternative to create totally pure water. Yep, I found systems is. for small farms found systems for small farms that could do up to 2,000 gallons per day. The initial cost is about three grand. It uses 110 volt and replacement membranes are about $500 a year. I won't mention any companies that don't have permission, but uh, seems like taking away the impurities in the water could certainly be worth it. 
Yeah, and so the reason why most people don't do that is because they can't produce enough uh, per day, and I mean for that kind of money, and it just it it comes down to dollars and cents and ease. And so a lot of people will instead just spend maybe a few hundred bucks a year on treating the water and call it good. So I mean you can do it both ways. There there are many ways to do it, but the point is the the better your water, the better chance you have for anything to work well, whether it's a fungicide, insecticide, herbicide, and especially the biological, or as we call them, natural products. All right, Bryn, uh, get a new farm question from Larry. We purchased a farm that's been mined for years. The P&K are on the very low side. If we have a year, a field has to be set aside for a season because of rain. Can we put the required P and K in one application without losing it for next year's crop? Well, as a general statement, probably, but it depends on how heavy that soil is. And when you say lose it because of rain, I mean, the first money that should be spent is tile rather than fertility anyway. So if it was me and I owned ground that I was worried I wasn't going to be able to raise a crop because of water, I can promise you we would be getting tile out there as quickly as we possibly could. Uh, but if you have heavy ground, so like for us, our our Cat exchange capacity is 20 on average. We're also frozen for five months out of the year. So we only have seven months where we're worried about leaching. And in a 20 CEC, P and K, they're never going anywhere. So in that case, in my case, then absolutely, I would put it out there. And now I'm in good shape for the future. But send us your soil test, and then we can maybe give you a more precise answer. Well, we've got more of your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up right after this. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. Introducing Kyber Soybean Herbicide from Corteva AgriScience, the newest Premium Group 15 pre-emergent solution. Kyber delivers three effective modes of action for long-lasting residual activity, meaning your fields won't just be clean, they'll be Kyber clean. And what is Kyber clean? Well, it's a little like... Nice fields! See the difference at kyberherbicide.com soy. That's K-Y-B-E-R herbicide.com soy. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. 
The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's a secure choice, with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. And if you're a first time listener, here's how our show operates our phone lines are open pretty much about every show. 844-44-AG-PHD. Been the same for years and years. If you have a question, this is your hour. Call in. We'd love to help you. If you got something you're trying to solve in your farm or your garden or your yard, we would love to help you. Now, if you have a question, you say, oh, my question comes up in the middle of the night. Great. Send us an email. No problem. Radio at agphd.com. We're trying to get to as many of those questions every day as we can. And I'll, I'll dive into this one. This comes from Daniel in Iowa. He said, first of all, went to Neil Kinsey's workshop and that you guys hosted. And I will definitely be back next year if you have one. I'm not sure what I like more, Brian's rants or Darren's one-liners. I also think my dad's been listening to Brian too much. He wants our potassium potassium issues fixed as soon as possible. The big question I still struggle with is how do I blend Neil's class and that information and salt indexes from various fertilizers to make the recommendations? My question is we applied two and a half tons of chicken litter per acre and 300 pounds of potash per acre last fall. We're down in north central Iowa. We've got tiled ground. The north half of the field has a cation exchange capacity of 16. The south half averages 12. And the entire field will be corn this year. I think we're pushing the salts as it is. But what are your thoughts about putting on another 200 to 300 pounds per acre of potash this spring, along with a few micronutrients like 35 pounds per acre of zinc sulfate, 20 pounds of copper sulfate? One thing to clarify uh, about this, we're going to till it in with a field cultivator before we plant. Okay, could you do more potash? Well, this does sound like a Brian recommendation here. You've already put on a lot of stuff. Would I do it this spring? No, I would not. And as far as the zinc sulfate and copper sulfate, I mean, if you're low, then by all means, sure, I'd put it out there and just get it over with. But in terms of potassium, you had a bunch with the litter, I'm going to assume. You put 300 pounds of potash out there, you're fine. You're fine. And also, this soil is not super heavy. So when you're down to a 12 CEC, it's possible with lots and lots of rain and knowing your geography, you could get that. You could get, you know, 50 inches of rain in a year. Potassium isn't going to stick around forever in a 12 CEC. 
we farm a lot of 20 CEC, and actually in your area too, in North Central Iowa, there's a lot of 20 CEC. In that kind of ground, then I'm less worried about it. So I'm not saying you're going to lose your potash, okay? Don't don't misunderstand. But I'm just saying you've already put a whole bunch of K out there. You're probably going to be fairly close to your base saturation K thing anyway because these aren't super heavy soils. So without looking at the soil test, I think I'd be doing you a disservice to tell you, oh, just automatically put on another 200 pounds of potash. But I will say, am I super worried about the salt? No, I'm not. The, the stuff you put out last fall you know, you're, you've already been losing some of that salt. Okay. So that's flushing out between last fall and this spring. I'm not that worried about that part and the zinc and the copper. Yeah. If you're low on both of those things, those, since you didn't put those out last fall, all you'd have for zinc and, and copper would be what's in the litter. Then I would suggest you put those out this spring, at least to some degree. So you've got some micronutrients there in addition to all that K you put out. All right, let's get back to the phone lines here. We got Charlie on with us right now in Cleveland. Charlie, how are you doing? Good, fellas. How are you guys? Good, good. Uh, what's your question good. today? Well, you know, my wife told me I should call an expert, so you guys have one over there? Uh, well, depends on what. <laughs> we're, we're experts on crop production. It sounds like you've got a gardening well, question, so that can always be yeah, tricky. I have a little... A little gardening question. I want to know if I can combine some fruit trees. You know, I just have a, 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 a small area. Can I combine plum trees, maybe, and cherry trees in, in the same area? I would put two of each tree in, maybe peach trees. Well, okay, so we are not orchard experts, but I i mean, I'm struggling to understand why there would be a problem there. The biggest thing that we do know about trees, well, there are a few things. One, they need a tremendous amount of potassium. So whatever plant you put out there, you got to make sure you have lots of potassium in that soil because they take a huge amount. Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing is shading is a real deal. So if you've got some trees that are going to be taller than other other trees at any point. You got to keep that in mind and look at, okay, what's my shading going to be at that point? So even for us putting shelter belts in with different types of trees, we sometimes go wider and space the trees out more. So each tree has an ample opportunity to do as good as it possibly can do. Beyond that, uh -huh. then I, I would just say when you have different tree species, they require, they may require different levels of water. So one may be taking more water than another. And if you're, if you are putting the same amount of water to each of them, then one could do better than the other. So that's something you got to try to figure out yourself. But yeah, right. I, I, I'm fine with, I mean, I don't know any reason why you can't put those trees in the same general area other than the shading and just the spacing. You got to make sure they have ample space to grow and not just think about what's their size today or what's their size five years from now, but what's their size at the maximum size and space it accordingly. Okay. That right. sounds like pretty good advice. Okay. Thank you. You bet. Thanks, Thanks for the call, Charlie. Yep, appreciate it. All right, Brian, got a series of soil tests here that are sent in from Minnesota. This comes from, from Grant. He said, I sent in some samples for the Neil Kinsey seminar, but you didn't get a chance to go through those. These were done in 2019. 
rather than than this past year. So there'd be one year of crop that's been grown on there since. But at least you could give me an idea of some places that I may start. I've got one, two, three, four, five, maybe half a dozen fields here. But you can see some similarities on the mm -hmm. test. Yeah, and <laughs> almost every time when we get lots of soil tests, what do we say? Variability. So he's got as low as, I've, I, and I'm just skimming through here, so this may not be 100% accurate, but I'm seeing, seeing soil pHs as low as 5.4 and soil pHs as high as, let's see, around 8. So those need to be managed differently. That's the number one thing. If you've got stuff that's down into the fives, we really want you to get some lime out just in those spots. And also, if these are, I don't know what the grid size or zone size is here, but they're, if they're big grids or zones, then where you're going to put the lime, I might do a little more testing and get it down to a small grid or small zone in that area so you don't put the lime where you don't need it. Because most of your ground, it looks like to me, is fine for pH it's in the sixes or it's in the low sevens and you certainly don't want any more lime out there uh, next thing that I see right away is some of his phosphorus levels are great and some are not very good at all he's got as high as 124 parts per million on a p1 test so it's available today that's a lot of phosphorus now I'm not saying that's bad that's a good thing you got fertility out there okay but then you also have spots where phosphorus is almost non-existent so here again i would suggest variable rating just put that phosphorus where you actually need it where it's going to pay uh, in terms of potassium same kind of thing uh, although on potassium it's a little bit easier because i don't see i only see a few samples where there is more than enough potassium out there but we're trying to get up to at least four percent base saturation k he's got heavy soils 20 to 30 cec so a lot of times universities will tell him tell a person like him oh you've got two here's i'll just give you one there's one example here specifically you have 207 parts per million of potassium that's plenty no unfortunately it's not because you're only at 2.4 percent base saturation k so you are suffering from yield loss due to lack of potassium. Now, the good news is when you have heavy soil like that, and in that spot it was 22 CEC, when you have heavy soil like that, your potassium isn't going anywhere. And especially when you're in Minnesota, your ground's frozen five months out of the year, it's not going anywhere, so don't worry about putting extra out there. It's just basically, think about it this way, an investment for now and in the future when you get those levels up. And then all you have to do is a maintenance level beyond that. So I'd be working on at least a build program until you've got those K levels up to 4%. And then beyond that, in terms of micronutrients, uh, zinc is down to a part per million, so really low. Copper, part per million, so really low. Boron, half a part per million, really low. And sulfur, single digits, really low. So you, your P is in pretty good shape. Your potassium isn't horrible, but, you know, you, you got... You got to do a little micronutrient work. And also, not all these tests were complete tests. On many of them, I'm missing the micronutrient levels. We'd really like to see that moving forward. So uh, there's my quick summary. All right. Thanks for the questions, Grant. Really appreciate that. Thanks to you for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.